All right, in our summer series entitled The Creed, we are considering the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, we, again, are living in an age of biblical illiteracy and doctrinal error. It is critical that we understand what the scriptures teach about the faith that has once for all been entrusted to the saints. It's not only important that we understand it correctly for ourselves, it's important that we safeguard it for the next generation. We've been given a sacred trust. And so uh, it's with that in mind that we've focused on these core doctrines. And in order to organize our thoughts, we are considering these doctrines through the lens of the Apostles' Creed. So we'll begin today as we have each day of our series by reciting the Creed together with those down through the centuries. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So in recent weeks, uh, as we've worked through the creed, we've considered Jesus' identity, the titles, the four titles that are ascribed to him here. Uh, Jesus, the Christ, the Son, and our Lord. Uh, we've also considered his sinless nature, that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was examined, interrogated multiple times, and they were unable to find any fault in him, anything deserving of punishment. Today, we will consider Jesus' work, what he did. He was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Stated succinctly, we're talking about Jesus. Crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, and returning. These statements tell us about Jesus' activity as our Redeemer, what he accomplished and we will specifically be looking at the doctrine of the atonement. of How that salvation, how our salvation was achieved. Now each week we've also been utilizing another learning uh, tool, and that is the catechism. So here again at the outset, as we just consider Jesus' work, the nature of his redemption, how it was accomplished... We're going to read a few questions from the New City Catechism. I will pose the question, and then we will recite the answers together. 
Question 18, will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? No, every sin is against the sovereignty, holiness, and goodness of God, and against His righteous law. And God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in His just judgment, both in His life and in the life to come. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Yes, to satisfy His justice, God Himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to Himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a Redeemer. Question 24. Why was it necessary for Christ, the Redeemer, to die? Since death is the punishment for sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By his substitutionary atoning death, he alone redeems us from hell. There's that concept of atonement, right? A substitutionary atonement, right? Death, his death as an innocent man in the place of guilty humanity. Question 25, does Christ's death mean all our sins can be forgiven? Yes, because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. God graciously imputes Christ's righteousness to us as if we were our own and will remember our sins no more. All right, so as you can imagine, we have six distinct stages of Jesus' ministry, seven, uh, six distinct things that he accomplished or did. And so that's kind of a long outline. We're going to be moving pretty quick and just doing an overview. But I think it's maybe helpful for us to think about these, two, uh, these in two different sections. There's what I'm calling the downward journey, right? His crucifixion, his death, and his burial. And then there's the upward journey, his uh, resurrection, his ascension, and his return. And so we'll, just to organize our thoughts and maybe to help it be memorable for us, we'll consider it in those two sections. So first, the downward journey. Jesus was crucified. Again, the creed moves rather abruptly from Jesus' birth to his crucifixion. We get right to the point, the reason why Jesus came. The manner of his death is significant. Crucifixion was one of the cruelest forms of execution. A person would slowly suffocate when they were no longer able to lift their body and draw a breath. But it was more than just the pain. It was a shameful death. It was a death reserved for the dregs of society. Matter of fact, Roman citizens, by very definition, could not be crucified. It was reserved for lower classes, for the worst of criminals. Even in the Jewish context, in Deuteronomy 21, we read that uh, 
Anyone who dies on a tree is under a curse. So there's a strong connotation here to the form of death. Jesus took on himself the sins of humanity. He cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a way we can't understand, there was some breach in the triune Godhead. As Jesus stood in the place of sinners and drank the bitter cup of God's wrath for us, in some sense, the Father looked away as the sins of humanity were placed upon his Son. Jesus took the curse of sin upon himself and endured the penalty that our sin deserved. Obviously, the cross is of central importance as we read the scriptures, not only in the gospel accounts, but in Paul's letters, the preaching of the cross. This is what we proclaim. This is our message, that Christ died for sinners. We also read that he was dead, that he died. Jesus did not fall into a swoon. He did not faint, only to be revived at a later time. We're told that Jesus was on the cross on the eve of the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath. And in this situation, the Roman soldiers would often break the legs of those being crucified to hasten their death. They would have more difficulty in raising themselves up to get that breath. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. But just to be sure, they thrust a sword up into his side. And in his gospel account, Dr. Luke tells us that water and blood poured out. He gives us a a physician's perspective on Jesus' death. Jesus truly was dead. His heart stopped beating, not for five minutes or for 20 minutes or an hour. This was not smoke and mirrors. Again, the wages of sin is death. Jesus did not merely suffer. It wasn't just that he was crucified and suffered, but he died to fully satisfy the penalty of sin before a holy God. He was also buried. The circumstances of his burial were a fulfillment of prophecy. He was placed in a rich man's tomb, according to Isaiah 53. He was given a king's burial. Usually a person would be placed in one section of a family tomb and their body would be there for a year or two until it was decomposed and then at some time later they would come in and gather the bones and put all the bones together with that person's ancestors. Uh, The bones are gathered up. But Jesus was placed in a new tomb that had never been used again in fulfillment of prophecy 
Uh, but not only was his burial a fulfillment of prophecy, it was also another affirmation of his death. Nicodemus used 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, and the body was bound or wrapped in cloths, burial cloths, bindings. And then, of course, there was the large stone rolled over the opening. And the religious leaders asked Pilate to set a guard at the tomb. They remembered that Jesus had spoken of his resurrection. If the body were to be stolen, the disciples would claim that Jesus had been raised and they would have real problems on their hands. And so they brought this to Pilate's attention and a guard was stationed there. A guard comprised of 16 soldiers, four at each shift, four shifts during the day. There would be no funny business, no conspiracy theories, no crazy legends, just a resurrection. (laughs) Jesus was anointed with spices wrapped in burial cloth, placed in a secure tomb in order to confirm his death and authenticate his resurrection. Now we need to pause at this point because the creed goes one step further. It includes a rather curious statement that Jesus descended into hell. This has caused no small controversy in the history of the church, no small controversy here in our local church in the last few weeks. Uh, Matter of fact, I got a text this week. Are you going to cover this? Uh, I want to hear about this, right? I have questions about this. Some of you have been choking on these words for the last few weeks. Jesus actually told the criminal on the cross, today you will be with me. In paradise. So was Jesus with the criminal on the cross in paradise or did he descend into hell? Which is it, pastor? Part of the problem here is an inadequate translation. Our English version of the creed is translated from the Latin. The Latin word here is inferos, lower. We get our word inferior, right? Inferos, he descended to the lower regions, is the technical translation. We would say descended to the grave, to the underworld. The New Testament Greek word is Hades. Inferos and Hades are broad words. They do not specify a place of reward, a place of punishment, but simply describe the place of the dead. In Luke 16, we find both the rich man and Lazarus in Hades. The rich man is suffering. He's in a place of torment. Lazarus is embraced by Father Abraham, comforted. But they're both in the place of the dead. They've both died. They're both in Inferos. They're both in Hades. We read this in Matthew 12. These are uh, Jesus' words. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Make no mistake, Jesus didn't just die physically, but he descended to the grave. He went to the place of the dead. He went to the heart of the earth. Peter references this this as well at Pentecost. 
he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So he did go to the place of the dead, but he didn't stay there. Right? This is, this is, the, this is the, the, the point. But he fully died. So the Book of Common Prayer in the Anglican Church has adapted this to say that Jesus descended to the dead. And that's a pretty good accurate translation some have speculated on this passage as well first peter 3 18 and 19 for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous there's a reference to his crucifixion to his death that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison and so there's lo- people have lots of fun with this passage. And, and some have even speculated that Jesus, uh, after his death, after saying, it is finished, right? After uh, paying the penalty for sin, that he went and proclaimed that victory in the underworld. Speculation, we, we don't really know, and that goes beyond what is clearly taught in Scripture, but it's a possibility. But in any regard, he died and descended to the grave descended to the place of the dead. Jesus' crucifixion, death, and burial constitute the watershed moment in human history. Paul identified these things as foundational here in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance, as of utmost priority, as the main thing... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news. The cross is not just some unfortunate demise that Jesus experienced. It was the point. It was the reason that he came. What seemed to be his greatest defeat was actually his greatest defeat victory matter of fact jesus pointed to the cross as the most brilliant display of his glory notice this passage in john 12 this is right here on the eve of his crucifixion right it says now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some greeks some non-jewish people so these came to philip who was from bethsaida in galilee and asked him sir we wish to see jesus Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So they want to see Jesus. They want to to encounter him. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. They want to see me? I'm going to be on full display. The hour has come. And I'm going to suggest to you, he's referring to the cross. Notice what he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about his crucifixion, and he says, it is my moment of glory. Certainly doesn't seem that way to us, does it? It seems like the worst possible day in the history of the world. Wasn't that the passage in the text this morning from the kids' time? But it was the greatest display of Jesus' glory. Again, on the cross, he declared, it is finished. Paul reflects on this in 1 Corinthians 1, 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what appears to be weakness and foolishness is actually power and wisdom. Angels praise Jesus. Here in this great scene in Revelation 5, matter of fact, we sang the Revelation song today that brings in a lot of those images from the book of Revelation and the glory of Christ. And they sing around the throne, but notice the the basis for their praise, right? They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So this was the great victory. Paul says this is where God was at his best. Romans chapter uh, 3, he says that God in the cross became or showed himself to be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. So God showed himself to be just. God is holy. He he is a just judge. He, He cannot just simply ignore sin. He had to deal with sin, and he did. He showed himself to be just, but he also showed himself to be a justifier, to be one who makes others just and holy. He made a way for us to be rescued. The cross is the whole package. We see all of God's perfections on display here. His holiness and his love. Now what actually happened on the cross? I want to pause here for a moment and reflect on this. We know that the cross is the key to our salvation. The scriptures make that clear. But but how does it work? I mean, what actually happened there? And I want to suggest to you two things... Uh, We could talk about other things, but at least two things that are happening here. One is penal substitution. This is the idea of atonement that I mentioned at the outset. Jesus died in our place. Jesus paid the penalty that our sins deserved. Our sins, according to Peter, were placed on Jesus' body when he went to the cross. You remember we talked about the goats last week (laughs) in the Jewish context the day of atonement and they would place their hand upon the goat that was an identification with the goat that the goat is taking upon it my sin and then the goat is slaughtered this is what's happening with jesus as our substitutes this is the backdrop that god established for the jewish people they understood blood sacrifice they understood the need for a substitute jesus is the lamb of god the once for all human sacrifice to atone for human sins no amount of sheep blood or bull blood or goat blood could fully atone for human sin 
So Jesus, through an act of penal substitution, uh, brought about atonement for sin. There's another aspect of what's happening at the cross that I think is worth noting as well, and that is what's often called Christus Victor. This means that in the cross, Jesus defeated Satan and death. The cross is not just about you and me and, and, and God making a way for us to be saved. The cross is actually much bigger than that. In the cross, uh, Christ is defeating Satan. He's defeating death. He is putting all things right again. He is lifting the curse. He is reclaiming all that is rightfully his. And so there's these facets of what is happening here at the cross, but this is the focal point of redemption. Uh, You might remember that Peter tried to talk Jesus out of the cross. Uh, From that time, this is Matthew 16, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. If you ever wonder about the centrality of the cross, consider Matthew 16 in this little exchange between Peter and Jesus. Peter says, oh, don't die, Jesus. We've got a really good thing going here. Everybody loves you. You're really popular. Pretty soon we'll be able to overthrow the Romans. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) The cross was the point. The deliverance that was needed was not a deliverance from the Romans, but a deliverance from sin. Have you turned to Jesus, my friends? Have you turned to Jesus to accept his sacrifice on your behalf? There might be some here today who've been familiar with Jesus, they've heard about Jesus, they've heard the stories, but they've never really turn to him in faith and simple trust and a recognition of their sin and their true condition before the wrath of Almighty God. The creed, the scriptures point us to Christ's death and burial as the foundation of salvation. I would also ask you, not only have you turned to the cross, have you recognized the cross, have you turned in faith to, 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 the, to, to, to Christ, but have you embraced the pattern of the cross? Paul addressed this in his uh, letter to the Philippians, for many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. We are called not only to believe in the crucified Jesus, but we are called to walk in that path. Not to exalt ourselves, not to pursue pleasure, but to humble ourselves, to serve And allow God to exalt us in due time. Christ is the pattern for us. 
Well, the text here also uh, reminds us of the upward journey. Crucified, dead, and buried, but also risen. The women were the first to the empty tomb, the first to see the risen Christ. Peter and John were next on the scene. Peter would not believe until he encountered the risen Christ, but we are told that John believed right there at the empty tomb. What John saw was not consistent with the grave robbery. Who would have taken the time to remove the strips of cloth before stealing the body? The cloths were lying right there. And not only were the grave clothes still there, the text is specific that they were wrapped. Some English translations say they were folded, but the literal translation is they were wrapped. It's the same word that was used to describe how Joseph had wrapped the body of Jesus. It wasn't just that someone had taken the time to remove the grave clothes. The grave grave clothes had not been unwrapped. Almost as if the body had come through the wrappings. John believed, not because the tomb was empty, but because the tomb wasn't empty. This signals all sorts of things for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It signals new life for us. In Romans 4, speak of Jesus who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That in some sense, the resurrection was the validation It was the the indication that Christ's sacrifice had been accepted by God. That truly, when Jesus said, it is finished, it was. And certainly it assures our own resurrection. It holds the key for our own resurrection. Here is Revelation 1.18, and the living one, I died, he says, I, Jesus says, I am the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus possesses the keys now to eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that Christ is the first fruits, just the beginning of a great resurrection that is coming. So in his resurrection, Jesus defeated death, made us alive, and signaled the coming resurrection of the dead. He was also ascended. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. His task was completed, and he was given the place of highest honor. Philippians 2, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus has promised his powerful presence with us to the end of the age. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, says, uh, Go and make disciples, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's granted us his authority Certainly seen in Revelation chapter 1, as John sees Jesus walking among the lampstands. And those lampstands represent the churches. Jesus is present with us, granting us power, pouring out the power of the Spirit upon 
the church. Jesus has completed the work of redemption, has been exalted to the highest place of authority and power. And he is returning. He promised to return in power and glory. Acts 1.10 This is the scene of the ascension. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Paul pronounced a blessing on those who would live in expectant, Uh, spirit of his return now may the the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ our king is coming back when he will return he will make all things right He's coming in power and glory as the rightful king in order to establish his eternal kingdom of peace. So crucified, dead, and buried is only part of the story. There is also risen, ascended, and returning. Are you living in the power and the joy of the resurrection? We've been made alive in Christ's life. Paul prayed that we would come to know this resurrection power is available to us today. Are you living in light of Christ's ascension? He is no longer on the cross. He has commissioned us to go with his authority and to take the gospel to the nations. Are you speaking with the authority of the king? We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And are you living in light of his return, in power and glory? Are you living a life marked by hope? Are you living a life marked by holiness and fidelity to this returning king? Are you ready to stand before him? So we recognize today, we affirm today, Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, and returning.